Hi, welcome to Not Another Marketing Podcast, where I'm talking to Amanda Rabideau, the founder and CMO of Arch Collective and a fractional CMO. Now, we're talking about uh, all the things you have to think about when hiring marketing freelancers. Thanks for downloading. Now, marketing freelancers play a huge part within existing teams and also smaller companies who might just need a few skills or a few hours per week. They can also play a huge part when you need a specific skill for a project. In this episode, I'm talking to Amanda Rabideau, the founder and CEO of Arch Collective and a fractional CMO. She shares her experience of hiring and managing freelance marketers, and we talk about all the benefits and the pitfalls of this, and Amanda shares lots of practical advice uh, to make sure that our relationships run nice and smoothly. You can find Amanda on her website, which is arch-collective.com, arch-collective.com, and also on LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram. I've put some links in the show notes, so tap away on those. Uh, Can I quickly mention that Not Another Marketing Podcast is totally ad-free? I'd love it if you could give the pod a quick shout on social media, subscribe via your favourite podcast app. Uh, You can find more podcasts at jtid.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Now, the first thing I asked Amanda was to kind of confirm to us that hiring a freelance marketer uh, doesn't necessarily mean cheap labour. There's a lot of freelancers out there that are highly specialized and highly skilled. And especially when you find someone who's got, you know, 10, 15, 20 years of experience in a, in a specific niche industry role, you're going to, you can pay a lot of money for those freelancers. Yeah. So, so it's, it's kind of, you're looking to fill a specific role in a way, aren't you? And not just kind of try and find somebody to do something for you as cheap as possible. Well, if, if you're, looking to find someone to do something for you as cheap as possible. I'll throw out the old adage, you know, you get what you pay for in some instances. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because I do talk to a few people who kind of, you you get the impression after chatting to them that hiring a freelancer, uh, they're doing that because they they literally just want to save save money and that's not really the right way to look about it um so so when we when we look at hiring a freelancer um should we expect to be able to see portfolios and see work that they've all already done is is that important a hundred percent yes and over the time i've been working so closely with freelancers and and that's a huge part of my business that's part of my vetting process i want to see their work i want to understand the business case or the use case. What is the problem that they were looking to solve that then those items in their portfolio were the answer, the solution, the output of their work to address that? I wouldn't hire a freelancer without getting a chance to see their work. And by quote unquote, see their work, uh, a portfolio might not be you know, just ads or something visual, Mm. you know, with a digital marketer, it may be, okay, show me a dashboard of the results that you drove, you know, and why were you driving these types of results? What tools did you use? So it varies from role to role, but a portfolio or some sort of demonstration of their effectiveness is, you know, imperative. Yeah. Do you think industry matters? Do you think trying to find somebody uh, with experience in in the same industry as you is important? That depends. And I'll give you two examples of, of, of that, one where it does matter and one where it doesn't. And so with marketing, 
I hire a lot of growth hackers or digital right. marketers, lead generation, whatever you you know term that that you're using today. And in that case, I'm less concerned about their industry knowledge. You know, this is a very data-driven role. It's about uh, putting out hypotheses, executing experiments to test those hypotheses, measuring the results, and then refining the hypotheses and then rinse and repeat that process. And so if they have some knowledge that will leapfrog, you know, the number of, of experiments that they need to do to get to the optimal result, of course, that's always helpful. But I think that that's some of what I can bring when I'm working with them or bringing them into a client. So in that case, with the digital marketer, I'm less concerned about industry experience. On the flip side, if I'm bringing in a product marketer, and product marketing to me is someone who's telling the story of the company, who's mm -hmm. defining the value prop. What are those brand pillars? What are What is the way that we're going to market with this particular company? I think it's incredibly important for them to understand the industry, um, especially in, in B2B, which is where, again, where I live. And, and so with those business-to-business -business marketing tactics, being able to tell the story in a compelling way for that audience is a big part of the success of product marketing. So the more they know that industry, the better they understand those personas and can get in their mind and understand what motivates them, the better results. So in that case, I absolutely would want them to have some industry experience. Do you think hiring a freelancer gives us a chance to be able to find somebody who specialises in a particular little B niche? You, you mentioned B2B uh, mm -hmm. and like, you know, getting a sale in B2B could take months, even a, a year or so uh, in some cases. So is yep. it a good way to be able to find that particular marketer who is specialised in a particular little field? It, it certainly can be. Um, you know, on, on that same note, if it's that specialised and that specific, you may not, you may be hard finding that person as a full-time employee and it may be hard yeah. finding a freelancer. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of reasons why people enjoy freelancing or quote unquote consulting. And so that person, if they have that experience and are really niche, they probably pay a pre or excuse me, charge a premium. So you'd have to pay a premium for them. Um, but you might be more likely to find them in a freelance position where it's a carved out project, something where they can come in, execute their niche knowledge and then be on their way. Yeah, because I'm, th I'm thinking sort of like on the analytic side of things and uh, marketers who, who love living inside a spreadsheet and just analyzing all of that data. And that's quite a specific role now, isn't it? And a very important one as well. Oh, it's huge. And and those those marketers, and, and that's who I call either a growth hacker or a digital marketer because yeah. so many of those marketers that live in the spreadsheets are able to do that because of digital campaigns. But um, there's, there, it's interesting because I've read articles hearing that, that those digital marketers, growth hackers, that they prefer to freelance. And then um, for some of my clients, we've been hiring full-time marketers, growth marketers. And some of the people I've hired said most of their friends who are colleagues that are in that kind of role are not freelancing. So I've heard both sides of of the um, the coin when it comes to if if for that kind of role there's a preference one way or another. So I think it's one of those depending on what you need and where you need it and um, where in the market you are. You know you might have a different experience. Yeah. Why do you think some people prefer to freelance rather than do that sort of like you know 35, 40 hours a week? Well, I I think. 
you know, if these last 18 months um, of the pandemic have taught us anything, there's a lot of burnout, right? Yeah, Where people yeah. feel that they're, they don't have autonomy, they're tied to their desk, they have to do all these things that they don't want to do. So that adds a lot of luster to the life of a freelancer where you get to call your own shots, you get to pick your clients and all of these things. And, you know, with freelancing, it's not all rainbows and sunshines, right? It's, sure. it's there's different work. You also don't have an employer who's, you know, managing all of your payroll, managing your, you know, paying the taxes that you need to pay, um, you know, providing healthcare benefits and well, you know, I'm able to provide healthcare benefits through a partner called Venture. You know, that's not typically the case, but I think that there's it's it's the desire to feel like you have control over your life is what at least today is so compelling to to those who are looking to get into freelancing. Do, do you know many 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 companies who who kind of run most of their business off of freelancers? Um, I do. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and I I think there's. There are some businesses that are are more open to it and, and than others. And I think startups have always been a place where they maybe don't have a budget for full-time employees. And because, you know, here in the U.S., full-time employees, there comes a lot of benefits that, that one has to offer. And obviously healthcare here, <clears throat> excuse me, is, is, a, is a major expense. And so if you think, okay, yes, maybe I have to pay this person some sort of premium, quote unquote, but you're not having to manage them. They're they're handling their taxes. They're taking care of their health care. You know, they're providing their equipment, all of these other things. It becomes very attractive. And in the same vein with startups, and, and you touched on this, they just may need a certain skill set for a brief period of time. So you know, especially on the engineering side or data science, where it's like, hey, look, let's bring this person in. We'll pay a lot of money, but they're going to jumpstart um, what we need and and get us off and running while we look for someone who's full time. Do you think startup companies, particularly maybe tech startup companies, use freelancers more than say that traditional business? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the scenario that they're kind of like a tech startup nowadays, you get a bunch of money, you grow as fast as you can, and the goal is to actually sell the business, right? Is to is to get out. Whereas it can be, uh, yeah, yeah, another traditional business might be I'm creating this business because uh, I absolutely adore the product and the idea I've thought up, and this is going to be something to hand down to my children. And my children's children and have that hundred year mm-hmm. company, that sort of thing. So do you think the freelancer works better with the with the little startup? I think it can work for both of them, frankly. Um, where but to your to your example that you offered, if you have a tech startup where they're looking to demonstrate very, <clears throat> excuse me, very accelerated growth, right? Mm, and that's yeah. either going to get them more money for their next round of funding, or it's going to lead them to their exit, whether that's an acquisition or going public or yeah. what have you. And so in that vein, it's like, you just want the talent, you need you need the, the warm bodies, if you will, to get that work done. Sure. And the expectations for where your business is at is different for an established company that is profitable and isn't taking outside funding at that time. And so that company may be thinking, wow, I want to invest for the long term. If I have people who have the skill set, I can bring them in, I can nurture their career, they can stay with me longer. I want to invest in full-time people. That might be one reason that, you know, the, um, the profitable companies may want to 
bring in full-time workers, but I don't think it's an if or. I think really both both businesses can benefit if they're using them in the right way. So for freelancers can are, are remote, really, a lot of the time, and and presumably they can be based anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. So what's the best way to kind of pick and choose uh, which country you would you would maybe go to, or, or if a freelancer came to you from I don't know from the Philippines or from France or from Germany or from wherever it is, um, we're talking time zones are different. We're talking quite a lot of organisation here, aren't we? Yep. Yes. Um, I mean, time zones I think is probably the piece that sometimes is the least considered. Right. I mean, here in the U.S., I believe there's five different time zones. Don't yes. quote me on that. But, you know, for the most part, there's four in the contiguous U.S. and then Hawaii and maybe there's six. Maybe Alaska's on a different one. I don't know. And and so it can be challenging even within those four different time zones here in the U.S. So if you're considering working with freelancers outside of the U.S. and you're a U.S.-based company, then you definitely want to consider time zones because – one, um, Europe may work better for, let's say, East Coast, and then Asia might work better for the West Coast and, you know, then everything in between. And so time zones is one piece of it. But, you know, with, with remote work, again, I mean, I think this is a, a benefit of, of the change that we've all seen in the last 18 months yeah. with with COVID, COVID-19, that there's, there's a shift in what people expect or the, the type of um, way that people expect their employees to work. It's, it's you know, this is certainly a big debate, right? But you're seeing yeah. more companies open to having their employees remote, not necessarily being in the office. And and so I think that there's an, an appetite or an openness to, to different locations. But again, you know, that there comes challenges with that too. Like there comes challenges with having everyone in the office every day. So sure. I think it's it's really you got to figure out what's right for, for your business and what you need and then make those decisions accordingly. Do you think it will kind of lead to more of, of what they call like the asynchronous style of working where we're not always there, always on all the time? For example, you know, like the telephone is synchronous, isn't it? You pick up a telephone, somebody answers and you have a conversation. Mm-hmm. You interrupt them, they stop them working and doing something. If somebody's working at a different time zone, they can actually get on with their work and you can pick up all the messages when you wake up a few le- hours later when they're probably asleep. Yep, I've I've definitely heard that is a a benefit of outsourcing. It's it's kind of your always on team, you know, yeah. where when you go to bed, they're working and and vice versa. So you can wake up in the morning and have deliverables ready for you. I, you know, I I haven't personally ever had that experience. Um, maybe one offs, you know, but I think that with with getting the output you want, especially when you're beginning with someone new. Now, maybe after a while where people understand your expectations or work style or, you know, the quality of deliverables, you can start to do that. But I think, you know, one important part of working with freelancers or outsourcing is investing in that time, right? Building that relationship, helping them understand this is what I expect. This is good. This is bad. You know, this is the quality I want. This is, you do need to spell check everything. This is the tone I want. And there's all of these nuances that I think you build up to that asynchronous ability to to work together. Um, I don't think that that comes right away. At least that certainly hasn't sure. been my experience. Can we still be creative if our workforce is spread out in, in different countries? D- do we miss that sort of like that I don't know, that brainstorming, that one person saying something and, and just kicking off an idea with somebody else. Do, do, 
Do we lose that a little bit, do you think? Oh, I love that question. And it's, I, I see that there's advantages and disadvantages. You know, you can't get a straight answer from me today, can you? Um, but, you know, the, the, the call it the impromptu where, you know, I, I've been in these situations where you're sitting in a room, you've had a meeting, and let's say the call ends or the meeting's kind of wrapping up or what have you. And then someone throws out the, well, what if we did this? Yeah. And then people start to riff on it. And then you're like, oh, wait, and some really great ideas come from that. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think that that is missing, those, those impromptu, spontaneous moments where I think if there's, if there's the discipline and the ability to, to take pauses in your schedule or build those in, I think there's also opportunities for more ideation and creation where, you know, you can have that quiet time to say, okay, I'm just, it's here. There's no one around me who can, to your point, you know, barge in. I, you can turn off your Slack, turn off your email notifications and really take a moment to be creative. And I think that can be a bit more challenging in an office where there's yeah. opportunities for people to pop in and out of an office or come by your cubicle or, you know, you have to book rooms where you can find a quiet space. So, you know, for me, when I build it into my schedule, I find more opportunities for creativity. However, I do miss just that being in the room example that I gave you where you and your colleagues might be able to ideate something great. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I I find that the if I go for a run or something in the evenings, I usually come back from my run with lots of ideas because yeah. that's where that's where it's happening. And I, I'm not surrounded by lots of people. I'm literally just on my own. Well, and I, I mean... I think in some ways the ability, like you just mentioned, that you can go for a run. And, and I don't know if that's something that you did from your office as well. Um, you know, my office is, we didn't have showers there somewhere. So if I went for sure, a run, I yes. could come back and, you know, maybe not offend my colleagues with my, you know, sweat. But if, if you have in, in this environment where we work from home, where you carve out that time, I know for me when it's, it's not raining, I love a good walk. I want to stretch my legs. Yeah. And I think uh, Steve Jobs, who we attribute so many things to, but he was a big believer in walking meetings. And so when, when I can, I love to not be on a Zoom, not have someone looking at me, not looking at myself, you know, not looking at the computer yeah. and get out and walk around and have those conversations. And and I think that's a great way to, to IDA. And I think there's, and I, I can't quote them, but there's, you know, scientific studies showing why that's actually a great thing for ideation and creativity. Yeah, because you can't really really have time to think, can you, in a busy office? You can't have that time to think. It's hard. It can be challenging. Yeah. And unless you have your own office where you can shut the door. And even yeah. sometimes when the door shut, you know, people <laughs> ignore yeah. that or don't care. So, so yeah, I, I agree. It, it can be challenging for sure. Okay. Um, let's talk about money. Let's talk about money. Um, what's up, what do you think the best practice is for paying a freelancer? Because a freelancer is going to be sending you an invoice, unlike a, mm -hmm. a, a full-time employee will, will just get paid on the 25th of every month or whatever. So w what do you think best practice is there? Is it to pay your freelancer immediately, seven days, or just chuck them on the 30-day payment routine? Yes. And, and this is something that I have strong opinions on. Mm. I I like to pay my freelancers as quickly as I can. Yeah. And from from my process point of view, I actually process payments on Tuesday mornings. And so, and my freelancers know that. So I'm like, hey, send me your invoice and make sure I get it by, call it Monday, midday, so I can get it into, I use QuickBooks, so get it into QuickBooks, and then I can process those payments first thing Tuesday morning. And, and I think, you know, the reason I do that is for a couple of reasons. And one is that, 
I think that immediate gratification is something that can, um, the importance of that can be lost and it's it's not felt in the day-to-day work where you get, either yeah. you get paid every two weeks or paid on like the first and the 15th. Um, at least that's a lot of how pay, payments work here. And, and so the, I did a hard job, I did a hard, um, I worked hard, I did a good job, I get paid immediately. I think that reinforces a cycle of, I wanna continue to do that and it, it's motivating. Um, and you know, one of the things that when I got into this world, I was actually speaking with an engineering consultant, he has his own firm and he's been in business for 10 years. And he's like, you know, he's like, the, one of the things that people don't talk about is not getting paid, like freelancers not getting paid, consultants not getting paid by their yeah. clients. And so while my accountants don't really appreciate how this affects my cash flow, I want to make sure that no one has to worry that they're going to get paid by me, by Arch Collective, that if they do work for us and they complete the job and they do it to the level that we discussed and expected and it follows the statement of work, they will get paid. And I think that that's because I really value them not only as workers, but also as humans, right? We all have, sure. you know, rent or mortgages to pay. We have bills that we, you know, need to pay. We have food we have to put on the table. Yeah. And so for me, even though, like I said, it's it's not the best thing from a cash flow perspective, it's something that I really believe in and, and do because I want to make sure that the freelancers I work with know how valuable they are. Yeah, it builds trust as well, I think, uh, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, and I think that's quite important, especially if you, you, you're working remotely because you don't get to you don't get all those nuances of, of one-to-one conversations which would build trust. That's a really great point. And, you know, in this world and kind of going back to how we're – you could be working with people on the other side of the globe. Well, you know, in, until you get that paycheck, there's probably a part of you in the back of your mind that's like, am I going to get paid? Yeah. And so you're yeah. right. You know, when when that money hits your bank account, it's like, okay, this person is trustworthy. They're they're doing what they said they were going to do. And and there's a lot of risk in, in freelancing that, that people might not pay you. And so sure. if you find someone that you enjoy working with and that's going to pay you, I feel like that's 80% of the battle right there. Yeah. Um, do you think it's a good idea to set up regular performance meetings with freelancers so you can actually discuss with them how how they're doing and, and what you expect from them? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, in, in general, I would say I think of freelancers as I think of full-time employees. So mm. with full-time employees, I would have weekly one-on-ones with them to talk through what they're doing, see if they need anything from me, you know, give them feedback, um, engage with them. What, what have you. And I, I treat my freelancers the same way because when I bring them in, you know, my expectations is that their work is going to be the same quality, if not better than, than someone who's, uh, who's there full time. And so I want to make sure that I'm giving them that feedback and that they have me as that resource to ask questions and bounce ideas off of because you know, I, while they may be off doing their work on their own, I don't want them to feel like they're, um, they're alone on the island, if you will. Like I'm still a resource. I, I'm still someone that they can talk to, ask questions, et cetera. And, and on the flip side, when it's appropriate and where I can, I love bringing freelancers in to present their work to my clients. Sure. Um, my clients all know that this is part of my business model, so I'm not hiding them in the shadows, if you will. Yeah. And what's more rewarding than doing a great job going and presenting it and being able to take credit for your work and hear the feedback, you know, the positive feedback, ideally, that that the client has. And and while I make sure when I, if they're not there, that I do share that feedback 
with the the freelancer that the client may have, have given me. I, I think it's important for them to hear it. And I think that's also why so many of the freelancers I've worked with continue to work with me because I, I, I you know, pay them like we talked about, but I also, you know, remember that they're humans. They're not just robots doing work. So, you know, who doesn't want to hear that they're doing a good job? Yeah, I like the idea that that you think it's good to actually admit that you use freelancers. I like that because I've 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 worked for organisations before who've told me to pretend that I'm a member of staff, and that I've been sent T-shirts to wear and things like that yeah, just to I try and that. prove just to prove you're actually a member of something because they don't want to they don't want to kind of admit they're hiring freelancers. I that doesn't surprise me, but <laughs> no, I I mean you. We're having this conversation. It's all over my, my website. My, yeah. you know, anyone who I'm talking to is a prospect. So no, it's, I'm very out there in the open with it. And, and maybe that again, it's like I, I like to build all relationships, whether it's with my client or with my freelancers or with my friends, family, you know, et cetera. It, with, if without trust, what do you have? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and t- talking of, of trust and things like that, I suppose one thing to bear in mind is is being able to secure things like your digital assets. I mean, I've known organisations who don't even trust their 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 full time staff with passwords or access to things. Um, so how how would you go about securing things like your your digital assets in general um, if you need to let a freelancer go? Well, I there isn't a lot that I would say is like proprietary or that one could take with them. I mean, maybe my process, you know, someone could take, but at, at that point, it's like, okay, if you want to take the process, you know, it's, it's not patented. I don't own it. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of marketers that put together a marketing plan like I do. And in fact, mm-hmm. I put out my marketing plan process and anyone could download it and read it. Yeah. So if someone I work with takes it and does something with it, I have little control over that. Um, I mean, I also... There's there's some freelancers that I I've been working with. In fact, this one woman I've been working with for, geez, probably a year and a half now, and she has she has passwords to my um, social accounts and, yeah. and things like that. And and you know I, if we decided to part ways, I would likely change all of them. Um, you know, and that's what I would advise to anyone. In fact, we should be changing passwords anyway. Security is so important. But um, one of the things that with my clients where I have access to their information, it's often kept in a like one password or keeper account. Yeah. And then when the relationship is has been terminated, um, you know, and not on bad terms, let's say, but just like, hey, this, you know, this this project is over, so you no longer need access to this. Then I no longer have access to Keeper or One Password, and then I no longer have access to those passwords, and it's very clean. and And I like that too because the last thing I would want is have something happen where they think I had access and I did something um, distasteful. You know, that certainly, I, you know, so it avoids any opportunity for anything like that to happen too. So One Password or Keeper might be a good way to handle that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I could talk for hours on this because it's fascinating. Um, Where can we find you? Where is your website and your social media bits and pieces? Yes, my website is arch-collective.com. And you can also follow me on LinkedIn, which if you search for Arch Collective or go through myself, Amanda Rabideau, you can go ahead and follow us. And then um, we're also on Twitter and we're on Instagram. 
And those are Instagram is Arch Collective Marketing, and then Twitter is Arch Collective with an underscore after. And it's, you know, I'm constantly putting out content around startups, around freelancing, around marketing, around fundraising. So if those are the things that that interest your listeners, then by all means, follow me. Fantastic. What I'll do is I'll put some links in the show notes so folks can just tap away and and um, and connect up with you. Um, listen, Amanda, um, thanks ever so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, John. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed our conversation. Thanks again to Amanda for her time. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe for more on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, your favourite podcast player. It's absolutely everywhere. Uh, just search for Not Another Marketing Podcast. Thanks for listening.